You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This is Jesse, aka the Bizzle, from the Bizzlecast, and you are listening to I Rebel, a Star Wars Destiny podcast. Forgery of Imperial documents, possession of stolen property, aggravated assault, resisting arrest. On your own from the age of 15, reckless, aggressive, and undisciplined. I rebel. Welcome everyone to I Rebel. I am your host, Jada Geek Girl. Joining me for this episode from the Bizzlecast, the Bizzle himself, Jesse. Hey, Jedi Geek Girl. It is an honor to be on. When you asked me, I, I was absolutely thrilled. I'm glad we made this happen. I'm really happy to talk to you, and thanks for reaching out. It is an honor to have you on. I have just recently started your podcast, and it is very mentally stimulating, though I haven't gotten to the good part, the pop culture part, but I am really looking forward to it. This should be very entertaining because I know that you are bringing a little bit more casual perspective on the game. Mm-hmm. Happily so. I'm a student of the game, but I haven't played as much as a lot of the experts, although I watch a ton online. I love the Double Blanks guys, D-House, a lot of the people you've interviewed. PAX Unplugged was just in my city. And while I played a little, I was really watching the, the expert players a lot, very closely. I love game theory. I've played board games and video games since I was a kid. Love strategy games and stuff like that, for sure. I am somewhat new to Destiny, but I have the tendency in my personality to get obsessive with things when I get into them, especially when they're Star Wars. So hopefully the audience thinks I'm worthy of being on. Before we go any further, could you dive a little bit deeper in who you are and what your content is all about? Because unlike previous guests, your content doesn't deal specifically with Destiny or other FFG-related games. Absolutely, which is why I was honored to be on. I do haunt the Double Blanks channel, I think, which is where you came across me. I do cover a lot of Star Wars and pop culture. You mentioned checking out my podcast. If you go to the earliest Bizzlecast from the beginning of 2015, I do talk a lot about philosophy, social theory, materialism. But then I did, I think my eighth podcast was about the Terminator series, and I totally nerded out, and it got like hundreds and hundreds of hits. And so I started moving a little bit more towards nerd culture, which was something I loved. And before I knew it, I was doing full-length commentaries for Guardians of the Galaxy and the Firefly series and talking Star Wars and comic books and stuff like that. But I haven't done a lot of podcasting about gaming, and you guys are doing such a great job. Maybe leave that to the pros, but I do talk about pop culture at large in terms of trends. I mean, I'm somewhat known as being like a dude who loves to talk about women in comic book movies, um, in Star Wars movies in women's issues. I really try and make that a central part of what I do. As you know, Jin Erso is my personal hero in the modern Star Wars universe. Maybe we'll get into that later. So I try and bring a social philosophical perspective while nerding out on all this stuff. Content is for everybody. There is no specific way to do content or to give content, whether you're casual or competitive or somewhere in the middle. As long as you're doing content, it shouldn't matter. It's really all subjective. And even though you might not think that you would be good in doing Star Wars Destiny content, it is important to know that there is room for everybody. It's not a exclusive thing. It's not like you have to know this or you have to do this or you should do it this way. If you can do it and you're willing 
to give yourself, there's no reason why you shouldn't do it, you know? There's nothing wrong with doing things and giving it a try. I mean, worst case scenario, you don't keep doing it. Best case scenario, I mean, look at the other content providers. Double Blink has grown in the last year. I know that we were talking offline and you're fairly new to the game, so you might not be familiar with their growth, but it has been amazing. And it's just so speechless seeing how far this community has come I am so glad that you are now a part of the game and you can experience such a wonderful community and such a unique game. Well, first of all, thank you so much. Uh, Second of all, I agree their rise has been really fascinating to watch. I think one of the reasons I love Double Blanks, other than them being great, is that they follow the rules that I try to follow as a podcaster, which is one, be interesting, and two, be yourself. And if you're interesting and in yourself, then people will be interested in you and want to know more about you as well as what you're talking about. And, you know, I didn't think of this actually until you just mentioned it, but it is a sort of meta, meta experience where when I'm listening to your podcast, I'm listening to the Double Blanks podcast, I'm listening as a Destiny fan, but I'm also listening as a podcaster. So I'm sort of experiencing both things at the same time, which is kind of trippy. So I have to ask you a question as a fellow podcaster. Do you ever listen to other podcasts and there's something about maybe their audio quality or their sound production that stimulates you as a content creator or annoys you because maybe there's something wrong with the editing or the choice of wording or something is annoying or perhaps the opposite. There's something to admire. Do you have that experience listening to other podcasts? The short answer is yes and the long answer is yes. The short answer is The main thing that people don't do in their podcast, and so I do on my phone when listening to them, is put compression. People need to compress the podcasts. Otherwise, the sound variations and the waveforms are all over the place. It's not just about volume balancing. You need to compress it. That's why pop music sounds like pop music. You get rid of the highs and the lows. It maybe loses a little bit of flavor, but it creates a uniform sound. So if you go back to, say, Bizzlecast 20 in sort of mid to late 2015, and you listen to my Bizzlecast now, my voice at least, because I can't control my guest often, my voice sounds almost the same in terms of the sound quality. But I'm anal like all podcasters, for sure, you know, about it. But you can only control so much. What I do is I try and make the other person feel as comfortable as possible and give them as little responsibility as possible and give them as clean of an environment as possible. And then the rest is on me to make sure it runs smoothly. And as we talked about off air, the biggest thing I've learned is when to stop and say, this podcast is really, really good and just do my compressions, do my bounces and get it out there and not go crazy with too much stuff. But sometimes you get real sound problems that you do need to work on. So I am always listening and and studying other people's mixes and stuff like that for sure. Another thing to keep in mind as a content creator and content consumers for those who are listening is that content always evolves. Like if you listen to a podcast that's been around for seven years, there is always difference in qualities and sound and editing techniques and stuff like that. Content is always evolving. Like the microphone that I have right now is a blue snowball. It's not really too professional of a setup, but this will not be my microphone forever. I plan on getting a better professional microphone. And as I get more experience in editing and everything like that, it will get better. 
it's always a continuing evolving process. And it's one of the things that I like about content creating is it's always new, fresh, and it's always constantly evolving. Absolutely. In two words, road podcaster, or three words, Mike. Road podcaster, Mike. It's $300, but it's the best $300 you'll ever buy. It changed my life, and uh, I wouldn't be bizzlecasting today without it. We talked about off-air about how you got into Destiny. Can you please explain in a little bit more detail about how you came to be in Destiny? Yeah, so I have always liked board gaming. I just, I didn't really grow up with it. My family and friends, I was a big sort of hacker wannabe in the 90s. I'm 36 years old, uh, full disclosure. So I grew up in the 90s, building my own computers, learning how to do encryption and hack DOS in, in sort of harmless ways and things like that. And so I was really more into sort of role-playing games and strategy games on computers. In recent years, have gotten really into board gaming, having just being sick of video Video games, getting older, loving the social component. So about a year ago, I started going to my you know local friendly uh, game store here in Philadelphia, Red Cap, and among other games, getting really into the X-Wing game, which I'm sure many of the listeners are familiar with, uh, which actually shares some dynamics with Star Wars Destiny. I haven't heard people talk about. They are both Star Wars and Fantasy Flight, but there are some similarities. But through their mailing list, I got an email a week before the two-player set drop, and I didn't know anything about Destiny. They, and it was very cryptic. They're like, there's a very special Star Wars game dropping in a week. Come check it out. And I checked it out. I was like, oh, this looks really cool. How have I not heard about this? So I bought the two-player set. And then I went on the computer and bought the Awakenings starter set, the Ray Kylo starter sets. And I then I bought a bunch of packs of Awakenings and Spirit of Rebellion. And then I started reading about the new Empire at War and about Sabine and Rebels, which I love. Even though I'm a Jin guy, the Sabine character and the card and learning about the dynamics of the game through playing Sabine when that first came out, that's sort of what really got me into the game. Uh, so I started seeing what kind of the meta was. And so, like I said, I get obsessive about things. And so I spent way too much money and spent way too much time learning about Destiny, playing Destiny, bugging my friends who don't even care about it to play with me so I could try different things out. And here I am. I have to say, listening to your story, it is very exciting because I have been here since day zero. I heard about the announcement within an hour after they announced it on the Fantasy Flight Game website. So to me, Destiny has always been a part of my gaming hobbies where you came into it later. And I find that really interesting and kind of stimulating to use that word because I don't have that perspective of what it is like to come into the game. How did you find the experience coming into Destiny? Did you find the community and the game welcoming? Did you have any questions or was anything too complex? What was it like coming into Destiny almost a year after its release? It's funny you say that because thinking back chronologically, I was actively playing X-Wing. So I was playing Star Wars Fantasy Flight games and no one I played with even talked about it it wasn't like someone brought it up and was like ah we're not interested like no one even brought it up and looking back and this is no offense because i love the guys but the x-wing players at least the ones i know are pretty snobby about their games i think looking back they saw destiny as 
not you know a hardcore gamers game i think i I don't know of this to be true because i'm not sure why i wouldn't have known about it because i was actively i mean i own probably a dozen fantasy flight games in my basement i mean even non-star wars ones i love fantasy flight i love all the properties that they do game of thrones all the eldritch horror stuff fantasy flight to me is great ameritrash games i'm a huge fan of as they call it i think we should embrace the ameritrash badge with pride but there's no real explanation for why i didn't find out about it other than my particular gaming group just didn't really talk about it but once i found out about it and especially with the dice component and i should mention by the way jedi geek girl jgg i love deck building games i love ascension i don't love dominion but i love ascension I love Star Realms. Star Realms may be my favorite like casual game. I've played like 2,000 games of Star Realms on my phone and hundreds with friends and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm into the deck building thing. I did not play Magic growing up. I was sort of a closet nerd in the 90s because back then it was really, really uncool. Like I already had enough problems with girls when I was growing up that I had to hide my Star Wars and my video games and stuff like that. So Magic was like a no-go. Plus I didn't have money. And now I'm seeing why collectible card games are so expensive. So there was a lot of things that fascinated me about it. The dice, the collectible nature of it, and of course, Star Wars. I love that it's character-based. It's such a cool thing about the game. So there was so much that fascinated me about Destiny when I started reading about it, learning about it, buying it, looking at it, playing it, but especially the dice idea, and especially that unlike in Magic, you have these characters that you're building your decks around. You're not just building kind of a static deck, because even though I didn't play Magic, I understood how it worked, and I knew plenty of people who played it, and I could see what was different about Destiny. And I normally don't love games that rely on dice, but once I realized that dice you know, were manipulated relatable and so forth now i'm just blabbering about all the cool things about destiny there is a lot of stuff in destiny that is cool and awesome that we could spend an entire podcast talking about everything but you mentioned that you attend packs how was that especially since you are quote unquote newer player like what did you do like how much experience did you have and did you play in the main event So I have a bit of a phobia of big crowds. And even though I've been podcasting for a few years, I've just never gone to Comic-Con. I just don't go to conventions. I love reading about conventions and seeing the cosplayers. And I always watch all the interviews with my favorite voice actors and writers and stuff like that at the Comic-Cons. I just have never gone. And so when PAX was coming to Philly and doing a PAX Unplugged, I live literally a mile from where the convention center is. I was like, okay, I have to go. But I'm a tutor and a teacher, and I work freelance, and I often work nights and weekends, so I couldn't commit to tournament play well ahead of time, and so I wasn't sure. So the first day, I just went to PAX and, and walked around. I brought my dad cause to show him my hobby, and, and we just watched some stuff. I had a lot of friends locally who were there playing, and I was going to play a tournament on Saturday, but I had a last-minute gig come up, so I came in early on Saturday. I played a few casual games with my gin deck, not part of the official tournament and then I was like screw this and I want to watch the real guys play I watched some of the pros play although I'm not sure I could tell you by name you know I saw some of the um I think what the Knights of Ren were there and some of the other content providers I saw play and saw some of the decks were being played so I, I was able to experience some of it not as much as I would have liked I'm thrilled that it happened can I just ask you a quick question is the feeling in, in the community among content providers that it was a success yes it has been held to 
started as a rebirth in comparative play. The amount of prize support that was there and the structure is almost like a second coming is what I'm hearing. It, it's overall a big success because even though it isn't cash prizes and you still have to go undefeated and there's no top cut, the fact that you're able to get something that you can sell to try to recuperate the cost is something that was needed in organized play. So yes, among content creators, it has been heralded as a success. That makes me very happy. And I hope they do it here every year because Philadelphia should be a bigger board gaming town than it is. Philadelphia is a big city. People don't know we're the fifth biggest metropolitan area in the country. And it seems to me, based on the people I listen to, that a lot of the best gaming communities are in the south and the northwest and the midwest of the country and not necessarily in the big cities. So even in Philadelphia, like a lot of the best gaming stores are in South Jersey, which aren't too far away, but still a bit of a hike. And so I'm hoping things like this will help build the gaming community here. That makes me really happy to hear. I heard the news about PAX and I would have loved to have gone, but I went to Nova and that pretty much ate up all my funds because it seems like the experience at PAX was worth it. I don't know. I think I would have still gone to PAX over Nova, even though Nova is a bigger event. If not for the sole fact that it is closer and probably more affordable when it comes to like travel expenses, but we're local, so that was really nice for you, I would imagine. You said that you like to talk about game theory. Even though you are more of a casual slash newer player, do you have any opinions of the results of the most recent regionals event? And before you answer that, I would like to share the regionals results. We had E. Kylo 2 with Baby Vader win Michigan regionals. We had Elite Sabine Elite Ezra win Texas regionals. Woo! And then we had R2P2 win the New South Wales regionals down in Australia. What do you think about these decks? Can I just talk about the state of the game in sort of the last month or so? Sure, go ahead. Broadly, this is my reaction. Celebrate good times, heroes, come on. Hell yeah. I am so happy that the heroes are back in such a big way. I'm so happy that the people who are playing the FN decks are so mad and stuff and that the heroes are winning because I was getting really frustrated because I only play hero decks and it was so obvious before the rules reference update of like which villain decks were good and it was easy to build those decks in my opinion, even as a casual player and seeing Qui-Gon Kanan winning stuff or Ray Poe mixed damage winning things makes me really happy. You mentioned that you played as Sabine. Do you like the deck? Have you played the deck? When I first started cracking packs, as they say, I had this two-player set. I had the Awakening starter sets. I got a Sabine in like the second or third pack I ever opened. And by then I'd done enough internet research and watched videos to know how cool of a character card I thought it was going to be. But by the time I started playing her and coming up with combos, I realized that everyone else who was much more expert than me had figured out the ultimate Sabine combo and you have to play Ezra and you have to do the loop and you have to do the running interference. And it actually kind of bummed me out. I was like, man, there only seems to be one way to win with Sabine. And so even though I wanted to be a Sabine player, I ended up actually doing the one Sabine elite Poe instead, especially because of new Kylo, but also just because 
because it was like I didn't want to do just the, the infinite loop that seemed to be annoying people. Now, you know, they've made it so you can't completely loop people. And I'm very happy that Sabine is winning. I agree with your previous podcast where you said that she's perfectly well balanced now with the rules adjustment. And that makes me really happy. So I do enjoy playing Sabine, but I enjoy playing Jin more because I really like playing characters and character combos where I can win multiple ways and it's not just tons of damage. That's just how I like playing. I like games where there's multiple win conditions. So It sounds like you are one of those players that play a character because you enjoy them and you rather play something that is fresh, new, and isn't quote-unquote meta. And that I find to be a very unique approach to the game. And it's actually a perspective that I envy because I just cannot pick two characters that are thematically appropriate or a character that I really like and play because I'm so competitive in competitive events that I can't do that. So I envy that mindset. I'm going to be honest. The fact that I love playing Jin in Destiny is completely a coincidence to the fact that I love Jin Urso and Rogue One in general. It's just one of those happy coincidences. But I just love that Jin has a die where I'm happy with anything on her die other than a blank. With Sabine, if you're not getting the damage, you feel like, why am I even rolling the dice? You know, with Jin, I feel like I can always do something. But that's why I'm always torn between an aggro Jin and a mill Jin. My ideal Jin, it would be a hybrid. My biggest complaint about the game is I want it to let me be able to build a deck where I can do a little bit of both and actually win that way. But so far, it doesn't seem like that's possible. But again, I'm not an expert. Maybe I'm wrong on that point. It sounds like you're itching into moving into our main topic. So let's go ahead and do that. In our main topic for this episode, we're going to do something different. Instead of covering a main meta deck slash character, we're actually going to talk about Jin. But before we talk about Jin, the card, and Jin, the decks, let's talk about the character. And I know that you have a lot to say about her because not only is she your favorite character, you just said, you are a canon expert like I am. You're really into canon and stuff like that. So take it away. Why do you like Jin? Okay, why do I like Jin? First of all, personally, I know I'm in the minority. I love The Force Awakens and I can't wait for The Last Jedi. But for me, Rogue One is up there with the original trilogy as a transcendent Star Wars movie. It feels like an original trilogy movie to me. I love everything about it. I love how bold it was. I love all the characters on the crew. I actually like the trio of Jin, Cassian, and K2. And I'm just a huge fan of strong but sensitive and complicated female protagonists in the new Star Wars universe, like Rey and Jin in general. I like Felicity Jones as an actress very much. I love the subtlety that she brought into a movie where she didn't have a lot of time to develop her character the way, you know, Rey and Poe and so forth are. And I really bought it. I love the prequel novels, uh, Rebel Rising, I highly recommend, Catalyst as well, to Rogue One. She's a badass, but she's like a sweetheart deep down. And I, I just really related to that and in her ultimate sacrifice that she makes. People don't realize she's the one that started the rebellion that we know from the original trilogy. Like if it wasn't for Jin Erso, none of that would have happened and the Empire might have won. 
And so all of that is really cool to me. She's got a great look. She's got a great presence. Let's be honest. Felicity Jones has been nominated for Oscars before as well. So I just love everything about her. And the fact that she's overcosted as a card, I'm willing to deal with because, like I said, I like her card and I like her character. I just wish I had people to pair her with. I would also have to recommend the Rogue One novelization because it helps you get in the mindset of Jin. One of the problems that I had with Rogue One when I first saw it is I didn't feel too attached to Jin. And it wasn't until Catalyst, Rebel Rising, and the Rogue One novel that I came invested in Jin's story. She is one of those characters that I highly recommend diving into her extended canon stories because it's worth the investment and it enriches Rogue One so much to read that material that I cannot speak highly enough about it. So especially Rebel Rising. What Beth Revis puts Jin through is depressing to say the least. Yeah. I'll just say, because I don't want to linger on this too long, but I will say I'm a big believer that a movie should not need books and stuff to make it great. For me, I understood the subtext for whatever reason in Rogue One. And so when I read Rebel Rising and I read Catalyst, it did enrich Rogue One to me, but it also confirmed things I already knew innately. Like, for example, the relation between Jin's father and Krennic. I thought they sold that completely through performance, but with movies, sometimes performances are a little too subtle or there's not enough screen time. And so I get why people think the Rogue One characters aren't fleshed out as much. But again, that's what the movie was about. The movie was about average people everyday people who risk their lives to accomplish something greater. It wasn't a character study in the way of the new trilogy, but I agree with you. Rebel Rising is great, very dark, and certainly informs her character. Moving on to the card, what do you think about her card? You mentioned that she's overcosted, and I totally agree. What do you like about the card? I only think she's overcosted because I can't pair her with someone else. So I guess that means she's overcosted. But if I could play her with two Padmes instead of one, I'm telling you, even though I've lost probably more games than I've won playing Ejin Padme, I have had many players on TTS flip the table on me because of how much I was frustrating them with that combination. Taking cards out of their hand and off the top of their deck and being able to eliminate some of their weaker characters with Jin's offensive abilities, that's exactly what I want to do in the game. I want to mill the hand, mill the deck, and kill the weaker characters. And if I could just get a couple points shaved off, if she was a 13-17 card, I think she would be a tier 1 card, in my opinion, assuming they keep releasing great 1 and 2 cost yellow events going forward. Now with the new format, which I don't know if you want to talk about, I'm not an expert on I do understand the new formats. I don't know if there's going to be enough new yellow event to maximize her even shaving off a point or two. But do you understand though what, what I'm saying about how I like being able to do multiple things at once? And that's why I like pairing her with Padme, even though it really makes no sense from a, a meta sense, I suppose. You like choices. You like to have the ability to do anything of which you would like to do. And if you would like to deal damage, you have damage to do with Jin's dice. If you want to mill from the hand, you have Jin's milling from the hand. If you want to control at a efficient and cheap 
cost, you have transibility, do do that. If you want a middle from the deck, you have Padme thing. So I can understand the flexibility that you enjoy. And, and then, yes, I do get it. Can I just give you an example of what you just said? Please do. So, for example, with a Jin deck, you only need a certain number of upgrades. It depends if you're playing with Padme or depends if you're with Ezra. If you're with Ezra, you've got more weapons. With Padme, you don't have a whole lot of weapons. But if I roll out Jin and I've got, let's say, a couple ranged dice and a couple discard dice. And because it's a Jin deck, I have got a bunch of events as well that I can play on them. Plus running interference and infamous, the other player doesn't really know what I'm going to do. And I will sometimes do the quote-unquote irrational action once or twice early in the game to throw them off, like do two damage on a character that I'm probably not going to kill because then they're not really sure what I'm going to do. Now, with a 30-card deck, it's hard to do a lot of that kind of bluffing because you run out of options very quickly and can just get killed. Is Mono Yellow the only way that you can see running Jin, or do you have other character ideas that you have tried or would like to suggest about pairing with Jin? Because so many yellow events have to do with yellow character dice or spot a yellow character, it's almost impossible from my vantage point to play Jin with non-yellow characters. I've tried Rebel Commando, as people have pointed out, it just doesn't work. I've tried Akbar, it doesn't really work. Ezra really is the best other option other than Padme. I tried her with Ray, I've tried her with Kanan. You know, there are more blue mill cards coming out. That's the one thing with the new set with Yoda at 10 and with more blue mill. I could see playing her with blue mill for sure. I haven't experimented enough with it, but because of the yellow events, it makes it difficult to play with non yellow partners and that's why Ezra ultimately keeps coming back because you get two dice and you can do so much more dice mitigation with that extra Ezra die. Let's focus on the Jin Ezra deck. What does that deck look like and what is your strategy? It looks pretty similar to the Sabine deck, except you stop worrying about looping weapons and you don't worry about paying for weapons. You slowly get weapons on Jin. Actually, I'll sometimes put weapons on Ezra early just to force people to take Ezra seriously. Try and create as much damage with Ezra as possible. Use cards like Bolt Hole and Impersonate to move damage around and things like that. Just cause some problems with Ezra early and then slowly get a couple upgrades on Jin. And before you know it, she's looking like Sabine. I mean, people don't realize, yes, Sabine has a two and a three and Jin's two, two. But because people are doing the loop with Sabine, you often see Sabine with one gun for most or all of a game, whereas I'll have Jin with three guns by mid-game, which makes her more powerful statistically than Sabine in terms of how some people play Sabine. So yeah, I go mostly aggro, but if I can survive into the mid-game, then I absolutely will discard people's hands if I get that to discard and not reroll because I know people are starting to save up cards and that is when she becomes very powerful in the mid and late game with that discard, I think. What has been your result with this deck? Have you been successful with it or are you still trying to tweak it? It's definitely weaker than Sabine Ezra in terms of results. And it's slightly less fun for me because I do miss the mill aspect. But to be honest with you, I haven't played enough post-rules reference guide to have a really good sense 
but I would say I can win half the time when I'm not playing, you know, a super OP opponent. I mean, it's not going to beat the General Rican Mel. It's not going to beat a well put together Kylo deck, most likely. One thing is I've started carrying fair trade in my deck because I'm so sick of buyout and all that nonsense with the yellow villain mill. So I'm not as worried about that. But if I have to do a ton of damage or kill three or four characters, she can't always generate what I need with Ezra. Do you think that Jin has the potential to be better? Or do you think that she is so outclassed at her cost that she will always be a fun character to play and seeing her as a competitive option is just so unlikely that it's a shame. I'll be honest. I've listened to all your podcasts. I've listened to the Double Blanks podcasts. I've listened to some of the other guys about the spoilers. If they adjust her cost to 1317, and I could pair her with either E Padme or E Yoda with all the new blue cards, I think she could be a serious force and that my notion of an aggro mill hybrid could work. But you have to get the right cards at the right time. What's funny is normally you talk about getting the right dice rolls at the right time, but with Jin, it's all about getting the right cards at the right time. But if I could play E Jin with E Yoda, which I can't right now, I would feel pretty good about that. But unless they adjust her cost or there's a plot card coming, I don't think she's more than tier 1.5 on a good day for me. This definitely sounds like a fun deck for people who want to have a more fun approach to the game and want a fun option to play against their friends casually. If someone wanted to build a deck with Jin, what are some recommendations that you would recommend for them to try in their Jin deck that aren't in the usual Sabine Ezra type deck? So I'm going to just talk about Jin Ezra mostly because like I said, while I love playing E Jin Padme, without that second Padme die, it's difficult. I will say if you start the game by putting con artist cunning and stuff on Padme, people will go after Padme first because she'll be milling like crazy with those specials. And so one die Padme isn't a horrible option. Maybe I will talk a little bit about that. But the thing with Jin is you can't use her ability if you've already played an event that round. So all the great zero cost yellow events like Friends in Low Places is generally played at the beginning of a round, right? Whether you're hero or villain, but you can't do that with Jin if you want to get her one off of another event. So I don't normally carry friends in low places, to be honest, because I just want to get any cards out of their hands. So if I can get two random cards, it's better than wasting a card on friends in low places. So I load up on high cost yellow events, as other people have said. I've got double cross. I've got never tell me the odds. I've got reversals two electroshocks all the time. I do do truce with her just to make her a little bit quicker and be able to pay for stuff. And I have damage management, like draw attention and bolt hole and stuff like that. I do carry Loth Cotton Mouse because there's just not much direct mitigation. But most of the gin cards you can find online are the same ones that most people are using and that you'll find in similar decks. Jay from Double Blanks posted his Gin and Tonic deck, which is really almost very similar to my Gin Ezra. So if you search for Gin and Tonic, you'll see it. That definitely sounds like a fun idea to try for someone looking for something new. And we will go ahead and post a link to that deck list if you want to go ahead and share it. If someone is interested in checking out a Gin deck, uh, they can do so. 
I will send you the link for my most current version of Jin Ezra and Jin Padme and would love to get feedback on it for sure. Awesome. I'm sure our listeners will be happy to send it to you. Moving on to our Facebook portion of the show. Last week, we posted an invitation for questions about anything anybody would like to hear. From our Patreon supporters, Shane, he would like to know if there are any tips that we can give him to help grow the Destiny community in his local area. As a newer player, what are some things that you could recommend to him to attract new people to Destiny? To be honest, I would love to hear the answer to this question because I've had trouble growing it in this area. I don't know what your experience are, what part of the country you're from. It's always about the people. You want to find people you like hanging out with and who are into gaming. And it helps if they like Star Wars. You know, you kind of need all those factors. I think the number one thing, maybe this is obvious, is just finding a store that's a cool store that has gaming space is a good place to do it. I don't know. What are your thoughts on this? I think Star Wars Destiny is unique because it is a game that has a very recognizable and beloved franchise attached to it. Like Magic the Gathering is heralded as such a fantastic game, but it is its own IP and not everybody is attracted to Magic the Gathering for its IP. They're usually attracted to the game and that is something that Star Wars actually has. It has an IP that attracts people and I think that is a fantastic thing to exploit. If you know people in your community who are Star Wars fans, bring out Destiny, tell them about it, give them a try, be like, yeah, you can play Kylo Dooku against Jabba Unka or Luke Rey against Han Rey. Well, whatever you do, it's like a fantasy matchup and it's not complicated and you can play this game at any level you would like. So that would be my first recommendation. And number two is exploit the gaming community. So is Destiny is a really well-balanced game. If you know people who are really into gaming, who are looking for a competitive, well-thought-provoking game, recommend Destiny to them. Tell them it's a new way to approach competitive tabletop gaming. And that it would be really rewarding for them to at least give it a try and see if the way that the game is designed and set up works for them. The third thing I would like to recommend is, this is not applicable right now, but sealed format is a fantastic way to help interest people because it doesn't require a high investment and you can do a lot with very little. Obviously, once rivals come to stores, it would be a lot easier to do it. But hold limited events at larger get-togethers. Like maybe your store has a gaming night. Go ahead and bring rivals and packs and hold a limited type event. Just be an ambassador. Always talk about it. If you're at the comic shop and you see someone looking at Dollars Comics, talk to them about it. It's all about you being as present as you can be about the game. And like I said, you have to be an ambassador to the game. you got to be willing to take time out of your day, not only to talk about it, but maybe teach a new player. And I think that's all it comes down to is you need to be willing to invest yourself in the game growth. Is what I would say, at least. If I could add, and you should certainly be proactive out there, but I think that Destiny is going to grow itself because of a combination of how great of a game it is, how accessible of a game it is, 
because it's Star Wars and because Fantasy Flight seems to be giving more and more support to it. The fact that you can get the two-player set at Target, Walmart, and Toys R Us tells me that they're serious about bringing in casual gamers. And so I'm very optimistic about it, especially with the new formats, the sealed, and so forth. Moving on to another Patreon supporter, Daniel. He would like to know about future pings. I'm sure that he's talking about future pings with legacy cards. I don't know if you had a chance to look at them, but is there any future pings that you would like to see or that you are looking forward to? I would say Yoda to me seems borderline overpowered, which makes me so happy. I want Yoda to be over cheap and overpowered. Kanan also at that 1013. I think that this is showing that they were planning well ahead. Even though Fantasy Flight did screw up some stuff, as they admitted with the new rules reference guide, they clearly were planning on some of these pairings in the future, like how Qui-Gon would act with Kanan, for example. I'm still holding out hope in Ahsoka. We've been talking all yellow hero. I love blue hero, but I don't want to do the Qui-Gon thing necessarily. So I'm excited to see where Yoda and other characters like that will go. I don't know if you caught this, but Yoda, I think, is overpowered, it seems to me. But that makes me happy because the heroes haven't had an overpowered character a lot. And for it to be Yoda is awesome. I love Yoda. I'm looking forward to pairing him with Qui-Gon. I am already running ideas in my head about what that deck would look like. I am looking for a partner to Wedge. I think Wedge Resistance Bomber is very strong, and if he has a good partner that can help with his indirect side and be yellow, I think would be fantastic, especially with the high number of die sides that Wedge has with Resistance Bomber. Pair him with a yellow character that has indirect, and I think that you are looking at a very strong deck. There's a lot that can happen and a lot of character pink that we do not know about yet, but it is so exciting speculating about what you can do and what we could possibly do that isn't known. But you can only do so much with limited information. So until we have the full character list with the point cost, it is really difficult to be like, okay, I'm looking to this pair character ping and this character ping because we don't know everything yet. So... I think people are sleeping on Ahsoka, and I think they're building towards making Ahsoka more powerful. Yoda Ahsoka is very, very interesting to me. You know, you are not the only one that brought that character pang to my attention. And I think it has potential, especially with Yoda's special and what you can do with it. We will have to wait and see because it's not as simple as Yoda Qui-Gon, but I think you're onto something there. Well, and remember, it's not just the cost of resetting her. It's the cost of resetting her, rolling her out, and having no cards to re-roll her dice if they're bad. So now you can use the focuses as well, potentially, right, to make sure that those re-rolls are maximized. So Very true, very true. Well, it is now time to wrap up. Thank you so much for coming out and talking some Star Wars Destiny with me. Thank you so much for having me. I love what you're doing. You've had great guests so far. I'm honored to be on. Hopefully provide a little bit of more casual player thoughts about the whole thing. And I guess my final thought, if I can have one, is just that, first of all, the Destiny community has been so welcoming to people in general, and that's going to help everything, which is great. I just hope Final Fantasy doesn't fall into the bigger, better, more trap with this game. 
And it seems they are by slowing it down a little bit and disperse damage and shields and stuff that they're starting to get that faster, bigger, more doesn't equal better. And so hopefully that trend continues and we have more subtle game design and not just piling on. Before we let you go, if people would like to contact you, where can they find you? You can find me at thebizzle81 on Twitter. You can find me at facebook.com backslash JF Brenner. But at thebizzle81 at Twitter is probably best. And then I'm also thebizzle81 on Discord as well. So those would be the best places for sure. And if nothing else, please check out my podcast. Just go to www.bizzlecast.com and it'll take you to my SoundCloud page. I'm also on iTunes and all the normal podcasting places. And I always appreciate feedback, good or bad, to my podcasts. Um, So thank you in advance. And thank you, Jedi Geek Girl. This was great. That concludes this episode of Ivy Bell. Thank you for tuning in, and we will catch you all next time. This has been Ivy Bell, a Star Wars Destiny podcast. I have been your host, Jedi Geek Girl. If you would like to contact me, please send me an email at ivybelldestiny at gmail.com. And as always, may the force be with you. Bell is an independent podcast, not associated with Lucasfilm, Disney, Fantasy Flight Games, or any other organization. All copyrights for Star Wars, Star Wars Destiny, and all other properties belong to the proper copyright holders. <laughs>